Hey guys, welcome back to Handling It. I'm your host, Catherine, and as you know, I thought I had my life all figured out, and then I realized I actually didn't. But I'm handling it. And one of the best ways I've learned how to do that is to talk with others about how they're handling their own lives. All right, everybody, happy Wednesday. I have been so excited to share this episode with you all because today's conversation is with the extraordinary singer-songwriter, Yola. If you're already a fan of Yola, then you may know that she's from the UK and was actually born in Bristol, England. Having spent years navigating the music scene in London and Bristol, Yola has said that she felt confined to stay in one lane as an artist, especially as a female artist of color. But in 2018, she embarked on a pivotal shift in her career when she moved to Nashville, Tennessee, and began working with Dan Auerbach at his label, Easy Eye Sound. It was during this time that Yola was able to craft a fresh take on Americana music, and in 2018, she released her debut album, Walk Through Fire. The album was a huge success and led to Yola's rise in popularity in the United States and resulted in her performing with artists like Casey Musgraves, Brandi Carlile, Mavis Staples, and Dolly Parton to name a few. Flash forward to today, Yola is now on tour promoting her sophomore album, Stand For Myself, which I can wholeheartedly say was one of my favorite albums of 2021. Stand For Myself is a beautiful symbol of Yola's growth as an artist who is freely creating and performing in her own way. And it's also deeply personal, as Yola describes it herself as a window into my mind, my life experiences, my politics, my hopeful and sentimental sides, and my hope for humanity at large. Above all, Stand For Myself gives a powerful message to its audience by challenging individuals to stand tall for themselves and combat the social, political, and mental pressures we all tend to encounter. The album's fusion of disco, R&B, country, and rock and roll is innovative and absolutely infectious, and it's certainly why it's been nominated for two Grammy Awards this year, including Best Americana Album. Today, Yola will be sharing the meaning of the album and the process behind making it, as well as what she's taken away from her career and journey as an artist. Yola was an absolute joy to speak with, and I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. So you know what to do, turn up the volume, get comfortable, and I hope you enjoy. Well, Yola, I cannot begin to tell you how thrilled I am to have you on. You know, I was just saying to you before, I am such a fan of this new album, Stand For Myself, and I'm such a fan of you. Uh, It's been an exciting few months for you, I feel. Your tour is starting up again. This album is also generating so much buzz and praise. You've been nominated for two Grammys, and now the Grammys are back on. So a lot to celebrate. How have you been processing it all? Oh, well, I don't know if it's possible to process it. Like, I've come to the, like, understanding that after the first record getting nominated for what it got nominated for, and I was just hoping that, like, um, we'd get some recognition for this next record. And, like, emotionally, it's really 
hard to feel like everyone tells you you should feel things and I know when like I heard it and it was announced that we got Grammy nominations I was just jumping up and down but Mm -hmm. like you just in the moment you're like overwhelmed by it and then it's very hard to kind of process it I think that's one thing that people will like they want to hear that you're living in this state of just like like euphoria the whole time but you can't you can't live like that you Uh just you find yourself in this space where you are just just grateful and I find myself going back to the fans and being like I'm just really grateful for the fan base I have I'm really grateful for the support that I have and that's the most overwhelming and abiding feeling that I get is that is that sense of just gratefulness for people connecting with the record and I talk to my fans quite a lot (laughs) and Mm -hmm. so like I'm always connecting with how they're connecting with the music and like that is that is the big win for me um that's just I'm never not proud of that and how people just are loving on the record that's that just feeds me Definitely. I mean, fans are great all around. And I think too, you know, to your point with the year we, well, I guess now two years, right. Of this COVID, (laughs) the COVID craziness, it's really wild. And I think given that it it's been a time of a lot of low lows, I think for everybody, but when those highs come around, you really just got to soak it all in. Well, yeah, I think that's the challenge. It's actually hard to do that. Mm -hmm. Like it's, like I don't know what it is about the artistic mentality but like we can find it I think it's the same thing with I feel like it's like reviews (laughs) like Uh you can you can take a bad review to heart so much easier than you can um uh, applaud it and so you've got to practice like accepting and drinking up those good times emotionally it's like you're doing taking compliments press-ups I don't think it's a thing that we all are naturally good at. Some of us might be, but certainly people that I know that are within the arts, they find it hard to really drink in those wins. Like it's almost like out of this world. Do you know what I mean? I come from like a village outside of a medium, small to medium sized city in England. There was no part of me that thought, that any of this was gonna happen the way it is happening I wanted it to but like nothing in my life was showing me that that was going to happen and so yeah it just yeah it's a lot to absorb and it's very hard to I don't come from any sense of privilege or anything I don't come from much so it's like emotionally you think about how far you've come about those times when I was on the streets and you know couldn't find money to feed myself all of this stuff it just yeah your brain finds it very hard to process it but you need to practice how to do that I think I'm still in that place of practicing how to really take in all of these blessings do you know what I mean Definitely. I mean, I think it's, you know, with so many things, when you put so much hard work into whether it be a passion or a goal, whatever it is, you're putting all that hard work in, you know, you're devoting so much time and energy into it. And then when you finally get to that peak point, it is almost unreal. And it, I could imagine, you know, with certain things, especially, oh my gosh, Grammy nominations, all of the recognition, 
I'm sure it's unreal. And it's almost this feeling of like, how did this all happen? But it all happened because of course you've been putting the work in. Yeah. And there's something that no one ever tells you is that like, like I had to be my own rich daddy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So like a lot of people, a lot of the time, like uh, I found myself, and I didn't really know this was the case for a while. And, but then I, I was, I, I talked to people and it'd be like, it's, it'll be like they, that this mysterious hand would come from nowhere and they'd like, like be able to afford like a touring van or like to travel somewhere to this conference to do, to meet all these people or whatever. And I'd be like, where does this magical money, money come from? And it's money, <laughs> mummy and daddy, the bank of mum and dad. And I was like, wow, like I'm not just having to, try and strategize my way out of you know my situation the people that certainly in the UK it's like such a it's so small comparatively to the states it's like Hmm. you know it can feel sometimes like there's a finite number of signings a year because it's not much bigger than probably about the same size as and smaller than some of the states in in the US I think you can fit like four UKs in Texas like sure it's not as much space um to be able to operate necessarily so it can feel sometimes like there's a finite number of spaces and it feels like those finite spaces are often taken by trust fund kids and so Mm -hmm. it's really like hard work becomes this misnomer of like if you just work hard enough then it will come to you like I noticed that there's a few things I needed to strategize around and one of those was like like if you're like going for the same thing up against trust fund kids and they've got however many tens of thousands behind them hundreds of thousands behind them then you're gonna need (laughs) to invest you're going to need to be the places that they are or afford yourself the opportunities that they can afford yourself. And so you're going to need to come up with a hustle to fund that. Like none of this comes for free and this kind of idea of someone just discovering you. And as a result of that, you having this great sense of autonomy, like they don't always come together. If someone has, right. if there's a, an imbalance in power, then there's going to be an imbalance in your autonomy. If they understand how you make the music you make <laughs> like if it's still a little bit of a mystery like I feel like it is in the UK with grime people they haven't quite the machine hasn't quite figured out how to create grime minus the communities that it comes from <laughs> like <Right>. that's really <laughs> what it is because they figured that out with hip-hop <laughs> they figured mm-hmm. out how to make hip-hop without you without referencing the communities that it comes from and mm-hmm. other genres have learned how to co-opt it up um, and inform their aesthetic without informing without you know connecting with communities that that kind of music that aesthetic the beats all of this stuff comes from and so it's like they're the situations in which you'll go oh, okay that person actually got to where they got to because you know, it was hard to kind of creatively wrangle them, but my God, like, it isn't like that. I've been in so many situations where I didn't have autonomy. I didn't have 
the ability to actually just do the job mm-hmm. <laughs> and with this sense of you know like creative freedom you know and that really is the joy you know that's the joy of the job For sure. And, you know, you don't actually know this about me, but I have been living temporarily in Leeds in England. So I have sort of grown to know a little bit. I, you know, moved here back in the fall and I've sort of grown to know a little bit about the sort of the music scene here in the UK. And Mm -hmm. you had mentioned, you know, coming from the UK. And I always love asking artists this when they come on sort of how they get involved with not just their genre, but how they get involved with sort of the artistry of it all. And what I love about you and what I really admire about you as an artist is you speak about being genre fluid, which is so reflective of your work and, you know, who you are. Um, If you wouldn't mind sharing, I guess, a bit about your background, you know, coming from the UK, you know, being born and raised in Bristol and then coming to the States and how that really sort of influenced your artistry and the music that you're creating. Well, uh, so I was born in a little, I was born in Bristol. I grew up in a, at the time it was a village. It's grown since, um, um, outside of Bristol. Um, I was pretty isolated where I was (laughs) as a black kid. Um, and, I feel like I re- reached out to music um, as a way of reaching out to the diaspora, as a way of feeling that I was connected to something that felt like it was of me, that way it was um, of the diasporatic experience. Um, so that was like growing up in the UK at that time, it felt like that hip hop and R&B and soul music from the States were reaching out to me. It felt like my mother's record collection um, of soul music, of um, singer-songwriter music, of country, of rock and roll, um, of gospel was reaching out to me um, in ways that maybe the media wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so, like that was like I we used to have this show called Flavor and it was like um put on uh like um by people who were bringing music like as it was released in the states like to the UK audience it was like a late night thing like you know when Mary J dropped something or whoever dropped something, Aaliyah dropped something. Like I remember when one in a million dropped and it was like mm-hmm. all of that stuff, like we got like real soon through that show. And so I felt as though I was able to kind of connect to um, this thing that felt bigger than the scene that we had in the UK. It's worth mentioning that I was born of a mother from Barbados and a father from Ghana. And most of the people of like, um, at that time of our generation, like were the parents that had parents who were immigrants. And so the idea of like a really entrenched diaspora culture in the UK didn't quite exist yet. Do you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. so the idea of being connected and really having an entrenched Black British 
identity was something that was being made as we were growing up. Our generation made it, really. Right. And, and so that, that feeling of like being able to um, connect to something came through other diaspora experiences. So that was like connecting to the States through music um, and how I could hear, like, I suppose the African experience developing through history. I really got into like early American music and that idea of like, before we have African-Americans, we had Africans in America and how, <laughs> and what that sounds like and like how musically that developed into the rich tapestry of contemporary music that we all benefit from, you know? And uh, I learned about Sister Rosetta Tharp. I learned about um, like so many, Mahalia Jackson and like, I then got into like roots music, into um, staple singers and then later Aretha and Tina and like, but I could see that the through line really clearly um, for me, like that felt like I could really understand like our connection from the spirituals right the way through to the soul music we have today. And like that really gave me this sense of like musical grounding that there wasn't this big kind of disconnect with I didn't have to experience the big disconnect between my actual living situation and my heritage. You know, that was the thing because sure. I didn't, I hadn't visited Barbados. I hadn't visited Ghana. And so it was like, I was from this, I was raised um, in a, a Bajan culture, but there was no, there wasn't a connection to it because I was geographically disconnected from it and that idea of feeling kind of disconnected is something that we all have to like reconcile there's obviously the year of return for Ghana was like 2019 and mm -hmm. people were reconnecting with their roots in those ways do you know what I mean and like it's this idea of like completing the circle is something that I felt was necessary I came to the states um because so much of what I loved came from the States musically. So much came from uh, the South, from Memphis, from Nashville, from, and you know, Sister Rosetta, like her most famed nights, club nights, showcase nights where she'd showcase artists were in Memphis on Beale Street. And, you know, and so, yeah, I yeah. felt drawn. To Tennessee and I I came here oh and I mean Tennessee I mean I know you're a Nashville gal too I visited Nashville for the first time last spring and oh my goodness I think it's just as someone who really appreciates you know country music too and and sort of this new wave of country music that's happening and also with Americana music I think it was just so wonderful to be in Nashville just to appreciate the history of it all like you said there is a lot of music that's been and has been coming out of the States and it's, it's wonderful. And I think that's, what's really special about Americana as well mm -hmm. is that it's sort of a genre that blends together all of these different sounds and styles. Well, it's classic American music is what it is. 
And there's something that really kind of got me growing up was this idea that um, we'd somehow like put rock and roll up for sale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like black ladies invented rock and roll and then put it up for sale. And all of a sudden someone else was claiming it as theirs. And I was like, wait a minute, was this ours once? Did someone put this on the market? I don't remember getting the money for that. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, the creds or nothing. Like, it's, I don't think it was on the market. I think we just took our eye off the ball for five minutes. And then you're like, this is ours now. And we're like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the number of times that, like, like somebody drank that Kool-Aid and, like, said, you know, you don't have, this isn't, your story doesn't lie here. You don't have a connection with this. Another kind of important thing I feel was to talk about our connection to music and, and and maybe bridge that gap as a kind of second generation African Bajan, you know, uh, to go like the connection from, you know, the banjo to the South Southern States of America should be recognized because, you know, it's an African instrument. We can't forget that. And if it's an African instrument and it has all of this presence in um, folk music, in roots music, in country music, then we should be having a conversation about why, (laughs) you know? And I think that really became a conversation around Americana music, around the Americana Music Association and its showcases. And that was something that I feel like me and a lot of my peers, we've talked to talked about um, on record a lot in the intervening last, I don't know, 10 years from your Rhiannon Giddens' to your Alison Russell's. We've talked a lot about our owner, ownership of, you know, Roots mm-hmm. music. I've talked a lot about rock and roll music because I'm playing Sister Is That a Tharp in the upcoming Elvis movie. <laughs> yes. And um, another thing where, like, you realize that the narrative has been skewed for a number of reasons. And so I'm talking a lot about how Sister Is That a Tharp was the inventor of rock and roll and was not recognized as that for such a long time. People are still like a bit scared, <laughs> do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? To uh, to even say that in whole words because they can't envisage a woman inventing something musical. <laughs> and so it's like, oh, she's kind of the godmother. And But I'm like, yes, like, yeah, but that's a really light way of not giving her the creds of her being the inventor of a style of playing that is central to the aesthetic of rock and roll. In fact, mm-hmm. you don't have it without this aesthetic at all. Exactly. You know? Yeah. You don't have, she distorted the guitar for the first time. She was bending the strings and shredding for the first time. Ain't nobody shred like that before. Like, <laughs> it's like, that was her. She pioneered the whole thing. And then that is the blueprint of rock and roll. And yeah. that's it. That's it. It didn't exist before her. I know. I remember, I mean, that's crazy, you know, bringing her up and all. I I remember in my freshman year of college music history class, learning about her. And it's sort of like you said, you have that sort of moment where it's like, how are we not recognizing the individuals that have influenced so much of our music, especially women, especially women of color. 
And I think with, you know, I guess getting into talking about the album with Stan for myself, you not only show, you know, the influences within your own music, but you pay homage to so much of like not only your culture, your heritage, but those influences as well. Um, I guess we can get into talking about the album because I, you know, there's so much to unpack here. Um, Looking at sort of your work and your debut album, Walk Through Fire, that was just, I mean, Chef's Kiss received so much praise and you shared so much vulnerability in that album. But for me, I think looking at Stan for myself, to me, my perspective, I'm seeing a woman who has now really found her footing. And, you know, you even said, and I quote, there was a little hiatus where I got brainwashed out of my own majesty, but a bitch is back. And I think that's so powerful. And I just, I'm curious, how then did this album come about? Why was now the time for it? Well, uh, let's just be plain. Like, number one, I didn't really know anyone in America. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, So I didn't live here. I lived in Bristol. And so, like, I didn't even know a lot of people in London, let alone bloody anywhere else. And so <laughs> I knew a good few people in London, but, like, you know, I wasn't, like, <laughs> a darling by the stretch of the imagination. And so it's like I didn't have, um, like, this whole network of people that I knew I could talk about deep things with. And when you're creating, you need to like find people who will allow you to talk about things that are deep things that they might be able to explore with you so if you don't have anything like like background in common or gender in common or country of birth in common or mm-hmm. generation in common and i had none of these things in common with the, any of the writers on my first record they they weren't black or women or from the UK or even Europe. Um, <laughs> they weren't the same generation. Uh, you know, they they may not have been, I sensed in some cases, not even the same political persuasion. So there are some songs that just can't get finished, like Diamond Studded Shoes. Um, I'm talking about um, being isolated. Um, and being like a, a village black, <laughs> not a city black, and mm-hmm. you know, and how that isolates you and makes you feel like not part of anything. Um, I could talk on that um, with Joy Ladakum, um, but I might not have been able to talk about that with any of the writers on the first record because they don't know what that's like. <laughs> and so, like, you need to be able to explore things with the people that you're collaborating with. And, and so that's like a really important thing. And sometimes you can share a lot of things in common, but mentally they just can't get on your wavelength. So it's, it, it took time. That was why this record had to come out when, when it did, because it took time for me to make those connections. So I knew who would be able to just get in on the headspace I was in. Also, like, I just felt that I was, like more able to make myself seen and heard at this point Mm -hmm. like to a degree I'd proven myself and make no mistake um this isn't you know a white guy situation for me I'm not able to just turn up 
pick up a guitar and everyone just assumes I'm going to be good at doing whatever I'm doing. Like you've got to prove like with my EP, I had to make sure that I chose songs that I'd written myself entirely and, and like that I was in on every level because to even like come out and debut, everyone was looking for the nearest white guy to be responsible for what I was doing. And I go turn the CD over and they go, they'd look and I'd be like, who does it say produced it? And they're like, you. Who does it say was in on mixing? You and an engineer. Who said that was like uh, in on mastering? You and the mastering company. And I'm like, so I'm all over this thing. So I don't know which white guy you're looking for. <laughs> but I'm not going to give it to you. You're not, you're not getting it, mate. Like, <laughs> it was like this desperate, like, please give me an adjacent white guy to pin all of this on. And it didn't exist. And that was what gave me a chance to at least get started. <laughs> and I think, you know, that was the beginning of me getting signed in the first place because I was showcasing playing all of this stuff. And that was, and people had to come to the realisation that I might be able to do these things. And so by the time we get to making this record, I've met enough people because I've spent way more time. I've got a full length record out there that has brought, been like a calling card. And I've finally been visible enough to be able to say yes to some people, no to some other people, because like it's, it's too easy to get dragged down a wrong track. And people that just don't really, really connect with you, but they just want something from you. And so, yeah, it just took all of that time to be able to kind of work on my or sense of actual autonomy. And throughout this whole period from, you know, like you, this EP right the way through to the first album to, to this one, uh, I've been writing these songs. So like um, Break the Bow on the Record, was written the night of my mother's funeral in 2013. And then, like, songs like Stand For Myself were written in, a lot of that was written in 2018, Dom's Still Shoes, 2017, Whatever You Want, 2018. And then, like, the kind of foundations of a lot of songs were written during the pandemic. And that another thing that made it essential was like the pandemic happening. It meant oh, yeah. that uh, I got this time to like really just marinate on some thoughts and the way that I was feeling and what I was wanting to achieve. And I wasn't able to have that. I wasn't able to be as collaborative as I had been on the first record. Although I had co-writers on all of them, all of the songs, it was like, I had to be responsible for so much more of it because I couldn't be in a room with people. <laughs> and so, yeah, like everything about this record feels a lot more like me. Like aesthetically, I was art director as well. So all the artwork was me, was guided by me. And I would then like dispel like, a million Pinterest boards to everybody that was working on the artwork. Um, and uh, yeah, and then I would then consult the music videos that they tied in with the artwork, right? And so I was art director across so much and 
always working with directors in this way to at least consult and make sure that things were, you know, felt connected. And so, yeah, this whole experience from, you know, the pandemic and realizing that I finally had a network was why this record sounds the way it does. It feels lyrically like a leap on. And wow. it really does. If you if you're into lyrics, <laughs> then mm-hmm. all you need to do is A B the lyrics from you know record one and record two, and you'll realize that something has happened. <laughs> and Definitely. that is me growing and taking up way more space. And as you should, because, and I love, oh my gosh, I love that whole fact about art direction that you oversaw the art direction for this, because that was lovely. Let me tell you, but Mm. I, I feel that, you know, you said like, look at the lyrics and I like, couldn't help, but, you know, I've been playing these songs uh, in preparation and I, I love every single one of them truly, but like going back to the title track, stand for myself, you know, you talk about that now you're alive And, you know, you go on to say that you can get here if you're willing, let go of yourself for a new beginning. And there's something so beautifully profound about that. And it's because it reflects everything you just said. You know, you're someone who has now, it's not preaching optimism, like, you know, let's stand up for ourselves, but it's, it's just saying, recognize the space you're in and how to take ownership of that, how to stand tall in that and, and recognize power. I mean, that's at least what I took away from it. Yeah, I think I really, uh, I think Diamonds Done Shoes tells you that I'm not a blind optimist. <laughs> like mm-hmm. the chorus, it's not going to be fine. I'm sorry. And so like I've got the, like I, I really plug in on not blind optimism. It's it's about recognising um, your power to psychologically reinvent yourself. Like, I feel like I spent a lot of time hating myself, trying to adjust myself because I felt that I had so much to work to do on myself, by and large, physically, because, you know, I'm a dark-skinned, plus-size black woman. And society really isn't that good at making people like us feel great, either side of the Atlantic, especially in the UK. Weirdly Mm -hmm. enough, I feel a lot better about that here in the States. But the UK, they are not about representation. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so it was it was brutal. It was brutal for real. And um, so that whole like realization came in this song. I was it was keeping me up at night. Um, and it was about like the idea of trying to tamp yourself down to try and be less, you're too much, be less. <laughs> or, you know, like you got too much, you got too much tits, you got too much booty, we want less of that. Um, you got too much melanin, we want less of that. Um, all of that kind of business was programming that I received as a child growing up and like I had to deprogram myself and that's really what the call of this song is it's just to deprogram your brain in from the normalized standards 
of existence, not just on a physical sense, but on a psychological sense, the idea of superiority and inferiority. You have to be able to stand in your own power and know that your own, that power that you have is a unique selling point. People always try and look for things that like differentiate themselves from the competition. No one can do you better than you. And so that's a brand. Mm -hmm. Dig into that, like make that the thing that makes you better at whatever it is that you're doing. Dig into the thing that you're best at doing using your Eunice. Like that's really, that's really all that song wants from you. (laughs) It doesn't want you to just be blindly like, it's all going to be fine. I'm going to be a strong, independent woman. I'm like, no, that's not what I want. Mm -hmm. I want you to be complicated and nuanced and vulnerable. And through that vulnerability, actually have some greater sense of strength. Like, yeah, it's way more complicated than that. Yeah. And I mean, and that's, again, why I love this album is you, you show all those emotions. You really show all the emotions, you know, like I feel like sometimes albums get typecasted or, you know, not even just as a genre, but sort of as a a feeling and emotion. There's that terminology, like the sad girl album, like, no, why can't we show all different kinds of emotion and music in an album? Um, and, and it's so reflective of that. And that's why I love it. Oh my gosh. I mean, Dancing Away in Tears, Yola, that has been my morning playlist jam. I, I play yes. it all the time. <laughs> I There's love so it. so much joy in this record. I'm glad you're getting it. <laughs> so much joy. I mean, I absolutely love it. It like takes me back to like, there's just once again, so many genres infused in there. Oh my gosh. My mom used to play so much Barry White growing up and like Yay! I <laughs> I can't help but like I just love Dancing Away in Tears is one of my personal favorites um but you know there's just also so many wonderful voices that you worked with in collaboration of this I mean Brandy Carlisle you collaborated with her and Be My Friend mm-hmm. there's just so many wonderful um influences and the community of people you surrounded yourself with in order to make that all of that I feel like can be seen and heard in this record and I think that's what makes it so special And I'm just curious then with that said, you know, Grammys coming up and so many wonderful things headed your way. You're nominated for Best Americana Album. Diamond Studded Shoes is nominated for Best Americana Roots Song. A lot of good things coming your way and happening right now currently. And I think with so many people hearing this album as you, you know, prepare to go on tour as well, I'm curious with that said, what are you hoping that people will take away from it um I think like my album is really reflecting me at the moment like it's really it's very personal in that I'm kind of walking people through every stage that I went through on the way to not feeling like unworthy anymore you know so like Dancing Away in Tears is really about boundaries (laughs) it's about outgrowing someone in that case romantically but in all ways like outgrowing something that isn't good enough you know and so I want people to go through because the the preceding song is almost like where I started it's doormat yola you know it's Mm -hmm. like a barely alive um me and Joya Lanakum wrote 
that song. Obviously, Dan's on all the songs as well. Um, we were talking about that idea of where we started and that sense of like, like unworthiness. And then I dancing away in tears is that first moment where I realize I'm, I'm I need to change something and I'm outgrowing this BS freaking paradigm of you know adhere to my standard whoever wrote this freaking standard don't see your own beauty don't see your own worth Valita, uh, validate your worth by beauty <laughs> mm-hmm. all the things that are so inherently wrong with the way that we see women and women of color specifically um and so yeah i want people to take away that sense that that they that it's possible to reprogram your mind from negative paradigms be they um superficial be they political be they personal emotional you're able to reprogram your mind um and that each song is a hint on a step of how to do that because really i'm just chronologically going through (laughs) like what i did yes i got some boundaries then i looked at the macro and i was like okay we're kind of being internationally gaslit at the moment with the disparity between rich and poor and then we start getting into you know any number of things, my need to connect to people that I get and be my friend and that idea of allyship and what it really freaking means. So all the Mm -hmm. lyrics are like, oh no, but this is what it really looks like. And yeah, and then that will to connect. And there's a lot of sentimentality in the middle of this record um, because I'm sentimental. I think the idea of like yearning for connection is something that we need to get back to as opposed to the idea of, separating off and you know allowing ourselves to be divided and consequently conquered you know I think the idea of seeking out connection is something that we need to like re re-examine you know and then I right. that really as we get through it's just um I'm constantly looking at the the hurdles that I've had to overcome and another one which is like sexism in music and whatever you want is about me dealing with the sexes <laughs> and just like how I'm just not, I just can't be standing that. Like, I don't, I want to connect with people on an authentic level. I don't want to have to pretend that we're connecting because you don't see me as a whole human. I want to be able to be seen. And so I want people to be able to take that. That's what they're able to demand from mm. their life. That this idea of seeking to connect or growing doesn't come without you having great boundaries, doesn't come without you making demands on a baseline of your humanity. You have to just ex- to set a baseline and then you have to be consistent with enforcing it. That's really what I want. And that's what Stand For Myself as a song gets us to. By the time we get to that song, Stand For Myself, like you've jumped these hurdles and you realise what is necessary and you continually go through this record, setting those boundaries over and over again. You don't stop, you don't just arrive at Stand For Myself. That's just a moment where you realize that you need to continually do that. That's what I want people to take from this record, to be able to read into the lyrics and see where I'm coming from. Exactly, I mean, that's so perfectly put. 
Um, Cause I think not only is this record so important for yourself and the growth that you talked about earlier um, and sort of the realizations you had, not just in your career, but in your life. Um, but this album is so relevant, I think, to just so many people, especially, you know, you mentioned the UK and the States and all the different social issues going on in the country right now, both countries. And I mean, my gosh, uh-huh. the pandemic, there's so much to learn and take away from this. And that's, I mean, that's why I was so excited to have you on. I, you know, had heard your music, you know, when your first album came out, I had listened to that, but it wasn't until actually back in the spring, Yola, that I think you did an interview. I'm a big spectrum XM radio girl. And I was listening to, I think an interview you did with Jenny LSQ or someone on the spectrum and just hearing sort of you, you know, talk about the album and just sort of your music in general. I I just thought like, you know, not only are you singing a lot of great things, but you're saying a lot of great things. You have, you know, so many great points and a lot of them you outlined in today's conversation. So, you know, I think for anybody who hasn't listened to the record yet, I hope, you know, they definitely are, you know, intrigued to now um, because there's so much wonderful commentary in there and, you know, a lot of important, yeah, a lot of important lessons for people to realize, but you know, with that said, <laughs> it's all groovy. It's worth noting. Like I talk serious. I get it. That's what I do. I write about serious stuff, but it's all groovy as heck. And because I'm obsessed with time, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it's like people think that a like a serious record has to sound sad. And I and that's one thing I want to debunk immediately. It does not. I don't necessarily subscribe to everything doing what it says on the tin you know I want you to be like dancing away to something and go wait a minute what's this saying Mm. oh like break the bound this record is a funeral march song but it's the it's the highest BPM song on the record it's so groovy it's like a proper dance party Uh song but it's a party funeral song, you know? It was written for, like, I, it literally spilled out of me. It started coming out of my, the bass line came to my head first, weirdly. And then, like, everything came, like, after. But on my, I used to ride a motorcycle. Um, I was running my, my, my motorcycle back from my mum's funeral. And that's when the idea came to me. And I was like... I was crying and riding and I realized that it's probably not the safest thing to ride a motorcycle to a funeral. So FYI kids, if you lose anyone, don't ride a motorcycle to the funeral because if you're crying, you can't see where you're going and you need to have your head on a swivel on a motorcycle. But point being is that I, I wanted, uh, I didn't know why I needed it to be like this uplifting song, but every time I sang it, it really helped with my grief. And so the idea of things being like wallowing and sad sounding and sad lyrics, like I, that doesn't work for me. And so like, I really love giving like levity sometimes or just, you know, good energy to emotions like grief that you need to go through, but, you know, but lift people out of that, you know, as much as possible, or at least, hold people in that if we're not lifting them out of it if they need to go through it you know and so that's really that's really a big part of this record it's like 
it's two things that live together. It's a lot of serious content and a lot of groovy, uplifting, good energy and that they don't have to be mutually exclusive. You can stick a middle finger up to the old prime minister <laughs> and have a good time, which is like, I, you know, you can stick it to the man and all of his little freaking boys club squad and whatever you want and still like have it like be a groovy, fun kind of country good time, you know, <laughs> like, like all of this I need. That's a really big part of my personality is like, you know, a little bit of joy mixed in with the shit show that was my life up until about 30. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> people go, you look like you were doing all right. I'm like, I wasn't, but I have a great sense of survival and that is for you through humor and through like just having a, a head that can handle things with joy and with humor and like just with a little bit of light, you know? And so that's one thing that is like foundational to this record when you're getting deep into the lyrics you're gonna have to read them oh I mean (laughs) you're gonna have to actually pick them up because you're gonna be dancing and you're not gonna be thinking about that and I want it to be like a layers vibe do you know what I mean Uh (laughs) uh-huh Yeah. I mean, if people aren't reading the lyrics already, like they need to, um, just for, that goes for any song, right? Any song you're listening Mm -hmm. to read those lyrics, but yeah, I mean, you know, you said it best, this, this album really is the whole package in the sense that you're showing not only so many different sides yourself, but so many different sides of emotions, so many different emotions. Mm -hmm. And it's really just got a little bit of everything and everybody's going to be able to relate to it and connect with it. And I think with that said, you know, all of the information on the album will be listed in these show notes, but you also, you have to note that, you know, you have a tour coming up and just yes. so, many, so many wonderful dates on that. I'm excited because you added some more U.S. dates and I'll be back in the yes. U.S. in the fall. So you will most likely be seeing me at one of those. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. So yeah, we had um, asked to, our tour kicks off in March with two nights at the Ryman. Um, and then I'm on the road right the way through and then um, March and um, halfway into April. And then uh, we've got uh, a little known movie to promote. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm going to be a, a little preoccupied with that. Um, um, if you're not acquainted with it, the, uh, the Elvis movie is due out June, I want to say, 24 um and uh so where I'm promoting that and then we go back on tour after that um in the fall um after festival season of course we've got we just announced Coachella Coachella yes I saw that and so yeah we're gonna be around yeah I've had to apologize to a lot of LA people for the kind of radius snafu of being in both Coachella and Napa (laughs) I'm like (laughs) yeah we kind of screwed you on that one. I'm sorry, but we're, we'll get to you <laughs> for a headline show. But we're literally like, we're, we're literally in the biggest like radius overlap. I'm like, sorry, buddy. <laughs> you are right in the, in the danger zone if you're in LA. Um, but like, uh, other than that, we're hitting almost everywhere. Like we're hitting a lot of places. So oh, yeah. yeah, we go to iamyola.com be able to see where the heck I am and get tickets uh yeah yes, yes, yes. yeah they sale is Friday the 21st is when they're on sale 
uh, or no, actually they're on sale. And then if you're in the UK, you can see me at the at Coco and general sales on Friday the 21st. That's what I was meaning to say. So if you happen to be in the UK uh, in uh, Yeah, July, I know. I'm, I'm, maybe just take the train down from Leeds. <laughs> it's not. It's not. For an American, nothing's far away. Nothing's in, far in, away. No. <laughs> no, <in England. laughs> Like when I grew up there, going to like Manchester was seen that from Bristol was seen as a long train journey. Now that's literally like a commute mentally for me. <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh. I've been I, here for so long. I went from Leeds down to Brighton. Everybody in this country thought I was crazy. I did it in a day and they thought I was insane. But I'm like, guys, like, <laughs> come on. I drove to Nat, I drove 13 hours to Nashville last year in a day. Like, that's nothing. <laughs> it's nothing. They just it's hilarious. Like mentally, like that idea of like size is like we think that you know, like a five-hour drive is going to kill you. We think like some people, if they're going to do like, if they want to drive for eight hours, they're going to stop halfway through at hour four and maybe get a a room for the night and then Mm -hmm. do the other half. (laughs) It's unbelievable, but it's real. I know, I know. It's really crazy, but... You know, UK traveling woes aside, um, I am so excited for this album to come out. And Yola, I always love to conclude by asking, with this being handling it, has there been a piece of advice or a lesson that you've learned throughout your career that's really helped you handle your life? Uh, Surround yourself with people that want to see you win and that uh, that can see you at all. Um, I think I, the hiatus that I was talking about occurred, uh, um, after my mother died and I just needed to rehash everything in my life. I rec- recognized that I recognized I didn't necessarily, the people that were closest to me in my life weren't people that saw me. I also realized that I just didn't know how to ask for things and so I was always in service and so like this idea of finding people that were that were willing to have me as a boss that weren't intimidated or by that or didn't think that I was incapable of doing that that believed in me that saw uh, at least uh, as much of a wholeness of my humanity as a, as someone could not being me you know and wanting me to win and just being like no we want you to succeed like that can be a, such a hard thing to find and it changed everything for me when I really got good at spotting that so yeah finding people that want you to win and that can see you and and yeah maybe trusting your inner voice like actually your instincts are pretty freaking tight and we get talked out of not listening to them like a lot I lost a lot of time and a lot of kind of self-belief from not listening to listen to my inner voice, not trusting it. And so, yeah, I'd say those two things pretty much started me on turning my life from one of being pretty poor <laughs> to doing real great. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, really, really that those two. 
Yeah. I mean, everybody sort of needs some cheerleaders in their corner, right? You need that support system. Those people that are going to, you know, keep cheering you on when you win and keep pushing you along the journey. And also, yeah, Yeah. I just think having that belief in yourself and, you know, owning your path, owning your convictions and just really, you know, having that confidence. It's, it's, it's weird because I don't, I was terrified. I don't think I had a great sense of confidence for a very long time. I feel like I'm getting into I've been getting into it over the past couple years that sense of actually having real not false confidence you know um but it started with actually believing my convictions instead of just being like oh I'm confident it's like no actually if I sense something that must mean something like you sense it believe yourself that is more what it is than oh I just need to like be confident it's like nah that ain't gonna do it believe yourself number mm. one believe yourself and then once you're like okay I sense something mm, do you know what maybe not you why can't explain it don't feel right <laughs> just really really like hone in on your instincts get them practice them put them in the gym look, look through your network and think who really does see me who really does want me to win really try and just sniff it out like once you get that inner voice good then all your strategy is going to be better and I needed a lot of strategy to get off the streets I'll tell you that right now (laughs) and so like I without a good head on my shoulders without listening to myself I didn't have a hope and so I needed to have a good spidey sense about people and that was how I built my team and that's how I then got myself out of um, obscurity and adversity you know like you need good spidey senses get them good and write a lot of songs okay maybe it's three things (laughs) I mean hey I I love it I know trusting the gut is like a whole nother conversation in itself but it is Mm -hmm. it's something so important just being confident in yourself and knowing yourself once you do that like you said like that's Mm -hmm. sort of the magic formula right there then you can go about your actions yeah it really is well you'll own it Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much. And have a great rest of your week. Thank you for coming on. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Yola and learning more about her work and inspiring journey as an artist. If you'd like to listen to Stand For Myself, a link to the album can be found in the episode description below, along with a link to Yola's website where you can check out her upcoming tour dates. Thank you to Yola so much for coming on and thank you listeners so much for tuning in. As always, let me know what you thought of our episode. You can reach us on Instagram at Handling It Podcast and feel free to send us a message and let us hear your thoughts and suggestions. I will see you in two weeks with a brand new episode, but until then, keep staying safe with everything going on in the world right now and keep handling it. I'll talk to you soon.